Over the last few weeks, we've been going through the parables of Jesus. And so I was going through Jesus's parables to figure out which one I was going to go through next when I came across one that had a passage of scripture before it that was leading up to the parable. And as I was reading this passage that led up to it, I realized that I didn't really understand what was being talked about. So I had to go and do some research, which I love. I, I always find that enjoyable when I come across something in scripture I'm not familiar with, and I get to go and discover what it's talking about. And so I did that, and I wanted to share what I discovered with all of you, as well as tying it into the parable that Jesus tells and the importance of that. So this passage of scripture is in the beginning of Luke chapter 13, and Jesus had just finished addressing the crowd that was there and talking to them about the importance of them accepting the truth of his teaching and that they shouldn't delay accepting it because as far as they know, death could suddenly come upon them before they took the time to accept the truth. And so they needed to accept the truth right away. And it's coming off of this, off of this warning that Jesus gives them, that Luke chapter 13 begins. And so we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those eighteen who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So Jesus had just finished telling them that they needed to accept his truth in case death suddenly came upon them. And in response to this, the crowd that was there mentioned to him about some Galileans who suddenly had death come upon them and says that Pilate had mixed their blood with their sacrifices. And I wasn't sure what that was talking about, so I did some research, and I found that there is a common understanding of what this was talking about. So during Jesus' time, we know that there were Jewish insurrections against Pilate. We know that because when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, Pilate offers to release Barabbas, and it calls him the insurrectionist. He's someone that would lead insurrections. So we know that there were some Galileans, some Jewish people, that were leading insurrections against Pilate and involved in those insurrections. 
But since they were still Jewish people, they would still have to go to the temple to make their sacrifices. And so what was believed to have happened was that Pilate would lay traps for them in the temples so that when they would come to make those sacrifices, that his guards would jump them and kill them, causing their blood to mix with the blood of their sacrifices. So what the crowd is saying at that time is they are pointing to these Galileans that Pilate was killing, saying, oh yeah, we, we need to turn from sin, otherwise death will come upon us, just like these Galileans that were leading or, or were at least involved in these insurrections. So yeah, when people are really, really bad, they need to turn from that sin. And Jesus' response to this is to correct them in this line of thinking that they're in, where he points out that those Galileans that were killed were no worse sinners than anybody else. And he uses another example about a tower that fell in Salome and killed 18 people, basically saying, do you think that they were really, really sinful people because the tower fell upon them? Or do you think that that was an accident that happened and they just happened to be caught in it? And so what Jesus is doing here is he's taking this crowd that he is calling to an acceptance of the truth and, and really calling to repentance, as we'll get more into here pretty soon. And what they do is, is they deflect this to other people. And saying, oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Jesus. These other people who were terrible people should, have, should listen to what you're saying. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Don't divert this to other people. You need to repent. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And so what Jesus does here is he brings their focus about the need for repentance off of other people and back onto themselves. And we see over and over in Scripture that that is exactly what God's attitude is towards us. That God wants us to focus on our repentance, not to look at the lives of other people and talk about how they need to repent. God says, look at your life and see how you need to repent. Don't divert it to someone else. Look at your life. And that's something that we need to always be in the mindset of, is what is there in my life that does not line up to the Word of God, and what do I need to do about that, about my problem, right? And this isn't a selfish attitude, because it's all focused on yourself, it's simply recognizing that you can't repent for other people. You aren't responsible for what other people do, but you are responsible for what you do. And when you do something that is wrong, regardless of the circumstances, you knew it was wrong and you did it anyways, that you need to repent for that. And only you can repent for your own sins. And so rather than looking at what somebody else did, Ron, and what they need to do about it, instead look at your own life. I think I may have shared this before, but when I first got married, I think it was just a couple weeks before we were actually married, I made a promise to myself. Because I knew 
that like any other married couple, that we were going to have arguments and that we were going to do and say things that we shouldn't do and say. We would be rude to each other sometimes. We would be hurtful. Those things would inevitably happen. And so I made a promise with myself to do everything that I could to not be the cause of those arguments. And that if I did anything wrong, that I needed to apologize for my part in it so that the argument wouldn't continue. And that has not always been easy. Sure, it's pretty easy to acknowledge my mistakes and apologize for it when something was 100% my fault. Or maybe if it was only 20% her fault, but 80% of it, I'm to blame. It's, it's easy for me to apologize in those situations because it's so clear that I did something wrong, this is my fault, and I need to own up to it. But you know when it's difficult? It's really difficult when she has 80% of the blame and I am only 20% at fault. Right? Maybe she did something that was wrong or hurtful, and the way I reacted to it, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best way that I should have, should have reacted. I probably should have reacted a little better, but it wasn't a terrible reaction, and it wasn't nearly as bad as what she did to cause that reaction in me. See, even just in the explanation, it's easy to hear how quick we can come to the defense of ourselves and to try to justify something that we did that we know was wrong, we know we didn't handle as well as we should have, and yet we try to justify it instead of apologize for it because it's not as bad as blank. And we don't only do that in our relationships with others, we do that in our spiritual life as well. Where we say, well, at least my sin isn't as bad as this person's sin or that person's sin. And they're the ones that really need to repent. And God says, rather than focusing on the sin of other people, you need to focus on your own sin. You need to take responsibility for your sin. And it's out of this teaching that Jesus tells the parable of this fig tree that would not bear fruit. And for three years, it hadn't bore any fruit. And when we put the introduction to the parable along with it, it's very clear to see that the unfruitful tree in this parable represents the unrepentant person. Because the master of the vineyard looks at the tree and knows that it is not in the condition that it needs to be in. There is a problem with this tree that needs to be fixed. Because it is no longer bearing fruit. And it's such a great illustration. Because when we are unrepentant in our life, when we allow sin into our life, no matter how great or how small, we stop being fruitful, we stop producing fruit, stop being beneficial for the kingdom of God. 
Because when we allow that sin into our life, it keeps us from having communion with God. And remember, I talked about this a few weeks ago, that the burden that God calls us to in the work of his kingdom is something that we're meant to cooperate with God in doing. But when we allow sin to come into our life, then we're no longer able to cooperate with God in that because we have allowed a division to take place between us and God. That sin separates us from God so that we're no longer able to cooperate with him in the work of his kingdom. Scripture is very clear of how sin separates us from God. In Isaiah chapter 59, the first two verses say, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. When we're not repentant of sin in our life, and we become complacent about it, we allow it to fester in our heart, it separates us from God, and we're no longer to bear fruit for his kingdom. We're no longer able to bring other people to repentance because repentance doesn't exist in our own life. And we need to make sure that we ourselves, we who are followers of Christ and believers of him, acceptors of his truth, that we model that repentance in our own life. And that it's not just something that took place once in our life, because we probably have all sinned after we first accepted Christ into our life. Most of us sin multiple times every single day. Every thought of jealousy, bitterness, hate, every time we let temptation win over what we know to be righteous. Every instance of those things are sins that creep into our life and separate us from God. That we should always be repentful of. And unless we're modeling that repentance, we will not be able to cooperate with God in bringing other people to that repentance as well. It has to begin in our own life. Now, thankfully, if we find ourselves like this dead tree, where we have allowed sin to come into our life, and it's gotten us to a place where we're no longer able to hear God guiding us, we don't know what it is that he wants us to do. Thankfully, we don't have to stay there. We don't have to be stuck in that condition. That's where we come to the second man in this parable that responds to the master calling for the tree to be cut down, and he says, let's give it another year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. I will take care of this tree so it can hopefully get to a place where it will begin to bear fruit once again. It says, give it some time, and let's see if we can get it there. And this man realizes that the tree's not going to start bearing fruit again overnight. It's going to be a process that takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. And it's important for us, especially 
to maintain our hope of righteousness in our life, to be aware of that, that repentance is a process that takes a lot of effort, and sometimes it requires a lot of time to get there. Because temptation is so strong against us, and we've fallen prey to that temptation again and again and again, to the point where it's become a part of our life. It's our habit. It's our addiction. And we can't always expect a change to take place overnight, where we're not only willing to recognize it as sinful, but able to turn from it as well. That's what repentance is. It's a turning away from. Now, thankfully, the forgiveness comes as soon as we recognize that it is a sin and begin the process of repentance. The forgiveness comes at the beginning of that process, but we have to realize is that sometimes that is just the beginning of the process, and it's going to take a while to get to the end result of that as well. But we have to begin the process by first recognizing our need for that process. That we say, I am not okay. I am not doing all right. There are things in my life that are pulling me away from God. Things in my life that are destructive to my life. And I need help. I need God to help me. I need other brothers and sisters in Christ to come around me and help me through this process. I'm no longer bearing fruit, and I need to be taken care of and brought back to good health so that I can do the work of God again. But that process can only begin when we recognize that we need that process, that we face our shortcomings head on, that we aren't overlooking our shortcomings, because if we overlook them, we will never overcome them. The only way to overcome the mistakes and failures in our life is to stop overlooking them and begin facing them. It's just like when you go to the dentist as a child and you figure out that you have a cavity and the dentist explains to you what a cavity is, that it's a hole in your tooth, and that it's not just going to go away over time. That hole isn't going to magically become filled up again. In fact, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse until it is taken care of, until something is done to fix the damaged condition. And when we allow sin to continue to fester in our life, It does just that. It corrodes our spirit. And it's only by facing that and saying that something needs to be done about it that you can begin to walk through this process of allowing God to change and mold you, to help you overcome that through the power of Christ rather through your own power. To say, I'm not going to Just keep looking the other way and hope that this goes away eventually. But you realize that something needs to be done about it, and that you can't continue the way you are. And to say, I know that this is going to be difficult, it's going to take effort, it may take a long time, 
but I am in it for the long haul. And that as we begin that process, that we make sure that we're faithful during that process to this commitment that we've made to Christ. That when we encounter difficulties or more failure down the road, that we get back up and we keep trying. We keep pursuing the path of righteousness that leads us away from that destructive sin. And I've said this so many times, but no one is perfect. None of us are perfect. We all have things in our life that we struggle with, things in our life that we need to get better at. We're all dealing with something. And Christ calls us not to ignore those things, but to face them head on. He calls us not to complacency, but to repentance. And so I want to leave us with this question. What is God calling you to separate from in your life? What is it in your life that is pulling you away from God, placing a wedge between you and God to the point where you're no longer able to hear His voice or do His work because you've allowed it to come between you and God? What is in your life that you need to repent from? And begin that process of healing. Take some time. Think about it. Pray about it. And God will show you. But rather than overlooking those shortcomings, we need to face them and let God bring to us the victory. And he has promised that through his power, it is possible. And that's today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, feel free to contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. And I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.